Have you ever seen that scene in a movie or on television? Uh, often you get it in cartoons. Uh, that scene where someone is really struggling to know what to do. They've got this really big decision to make and uh, they've got these options before them and they're not quite sure on how they should go about it. And then there's a little puff of smoke and on one of their shoulders a little person appears and starts talking in their ear about uh, one particular side of the argument. And then there's another little puff of smoke and another little person appears and they start speaking in the other ear about the other side of the argument. And so you get this scene with these two little voices, one saying one thing and one saying another thing, and each one trying to talk the person into doing what they reckon is best. You ever seen that, that sort of scene? That's exactly what I want you to have in mind this morning as we look at the section of Proverbs that goes all the way from chapter 1 through to chapter 9. It's a longish section we're looking at this morning. Lots of different things are said throughout this section, but essentially at its heart, it's a section based on that image of two little voices, each speaking in one of our ears, each giving us a different perspective on what to do and how to live. And, and what Proverbs wants us to appreciate is that only one of those voices is worth listening to. What a Proverbs wants us to understand is that at the end of the day, there is only ever one voice that is worth taking notice of. Now look, I reckon you see it most clearly in chapter 9 that Deidre just read for us. Because the way Proverbs is organised, chapter 9 is a sort of summary chapter of everything else that has happened before it. In chapter 9, all the main lessons and all the main themes of the book so far are all pulled together. And so this morning, even though we're sort of looking at that big section, we're going to spend most of our time in chapter 9 because when you understand that chapter, you do understand the whole section. So I hope you've kept your Bibles open. Chapter 9 really is one of those chapters, two people talking in each year. We meet the first voice, the first little person, if you want to call it that, in verse 1. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn its seven pillars. She's prepared her meat, mixed her wine, she set her table, she set out, sent out maids and calls from the highest point. Let all who are simple come in here, she says to those who lack judgment. Come, eat my food, drink the wine I've mixed. That's quite a vivid image, that, isn't it? Wisdom, we thought about that last Sunday, wisdom is practical knowledge. Remember that? Wisdom is knowing how to best live your life. And wisdom here is depicted as, as a woman and she's prepared a banquet and she's inviting everyone to come to her house and share it with her. It's a picture of you and I being invited to live this life to the full. You and I are being invited to be the best people we can be, to have the best life that we can live. And within wisdom's invitation, in the words that she now goes on to say... I want you to notice two things. I want you to notice the content of wisdom and the consequences of having it. Firstly, the content. And here, verse 10 is the key verse. Verse 10, the fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now, friends, that truth, the fear of God is the beginning of it. That is the truth that is the centrepiece of all the opening chapters, indeed all of Proverbs put together. Now you can tell that simply by how often we're, we're told to fear God. 
It's here in verse 10 at the very centre of what is a very important summary chapter. But if that wasn't enough, it's also the very first thing that we're told in the entire section. If you just skip a few pages back to the left, chapter 1, verse 7, look at how this section starts. Chapter 1, verse 7. Look at the very first thing we're told after the introduction, the very first thing we're told in this section. 1-7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And you see that lesson about fearing God, it's repeated all the way through. Chapter 1, verse 29. Chapter 2, verse 5. Chapter 3, verse 7. Chapter 8, verse 13. Quite literally, from beginning to end and all the way through, This section is just riddled with the lesson. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord, that's the beginning of wisdom. Fear God, that is the beginning of wisdom. And it's not just how often it's repeated. It's what it's actually saying that shows you how important it is. Because by using the word beginning, we are being told that a fear of God is both the starting point and the foundational truth upon which all appropriate, effective living is based. It's a bit like on a building site, you might say that the concrete slab is the beginning of the building. And yes, that means it's the first thing you've got to do, isn't it? But at the same time, the foundation of a building, it's not something you ever really move away from either. The foundations aren't something that you ever stop needing the foundations of a building never stop being important everything else depends on them or else the building comes down and cracks that is the fear of God and wisdom fearing God or knowing your place before God having a respect for God having a reverent awe of God realizing how crazy it is to ever go up against God If you haven't got that straight from the start, that is like putting up a building on bad bad foundations. If your lifestyle is not based on a fear of God, a reverence to God, your life will crack and it will eventually come down. Because think about it. Who is God? He is powerful beyond your wildest imagination. And every now and then we, we might see the damage that a storm might do on the way through or on the news we might see the damage and the effect that a hurricane can, can, uh, can deliver or an earthquake can deliver. That is just a snippet of a tiny fraction of God's power. That is just the flick of a finger. That is nothing compared to what God can do if he really puts his mind to it. He created this entire world. He created the the universe simply by saying the word. He can destroy entire countries with it just crossing his mind. And he is able to punish those who ignore him. He's able to punish those who rebel against him horribly. God is able to make you more miserable than you can imagine. And he can do it for all eternity. And so the idea of defying a God like that, that should just fill us with total dread. 
the idea of disobeying God should utterly, utterly terrify us. And if it doesn't terrify you, you have no idea who you're dealing with. But if it does terrify you, Proverbs would say, good, you have the beginnings of wisdom. You have the starting point and the foundation for building an effective life in this world. Which leads to the consequences of it all. Look back with me at chapter 9, verse 6 this time. For the consequences of wisdom. Leave your simple ways and you will live. You will walk in the way of understanding. Look down at verse 11. For through me your days will be many and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you're a mocker, you alone will suffer. See the consequences there? It's the consequences of, of, uh, of accepting wisdom's invitation. It's life. It's understanding. It's long life and many years and fullness. It's sort of what we discovered last week, isn't it? That wisdom enables you to be the best person you can be, to get the most out of this life that you can get out of this life, which makes perfect sense with what we've just seen about its content. Because if wisdom begins by getting the perspective right between us and God, it's no surprise then that when you get that perspective right, when you humbly know your place before the God who made you, well, when that happens, that opens up the door, the possibility of enjoying God for who he really is and all that he can really give you in this world. And here in chapter 9, wisdom is depicted as providing a rich and varied feast for her guests, a banquet which will help the simple and the naive, a banquet which will give them fullness of life. And just like that idea of fearing God, this is a thought that is peppered all the way through the opening chapters of Proverbs. And often it's wisdom herself speaking, like here in chapter 9, but often it's in the form of a father instructing his son. But the message is always the same. Pursue wisdom. Fear the Lord. And it will bring you fullness of life and blessing. Know your place before God. And it will help you live your life to the full. And it will help you be the best person you can be in this world. But the voice of wisdom is not the only voice in chapter 9. There's another voice back in chapter 9. There's another woman. There's someone else standing at another house. There's someone else inviting us to another banquet there's another voice in the other ear verse 13 the woman folly is loud she's undisciplined and without knowledge she sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city calling out to those who pass by who go straight on their way let all who are simple come in here she says to those who lack judgement stolen water sweet food eaten in secret it's delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there and her guests, they're in the depths of the grave. Please notice the radical difference between the content and consequences of folly as opposed to wisdom. And here by the content, I'm referring to the way in which folly, folly is filled with deception and trickery. Now, the deception is reflected in all these parallels in that chapter between folly and wisdom. 
Both are women standing at their home inviting us to come in. Both have prepared food for us to share. Both extend exactly the same invitation. Did you notice that? Verse 4, verse 6. They are word-perfect repetitions because that's the thing about folly. She promises so much. She can seem to make so much sense at the time. She can seem to be so reasonable and appealing and attractive. Folly seems to be offering exactly the same things as wisdom. Yeah, follow me. Do things this way. It'll work out best. Try things this way in your life. It'll make things a lot more easier for you. But despite her outward appearances and her outward invitation, despite the appeal of it all, it's a deception. For in folly, there is no humble fear of God. We're told in verse 13 that she is loud and undisciplined. And as opposed to the food and drink which wisdom had mixed herself, what we're told of folly is that the food and drink is stolen. It's secretive. In other words, what we're seeing here is that when you cut through all the double talk, what foolish living involves is not a life lived in fear of God, but a life which is effectively lived in mockery of God. What foolish living involves is ill-gotten gains. It's blessings, but they're obtained through disobedience. And therefore, despite what's promised, the real consequences are the exact opposite of wisdom. Wisdom brought life and understanding. Folly, verse 18, little do they know that the dead are there and her guests are in the depths of the grave. If you ever watch that game show on telly, Deal or No Deal, uh, if you've ever seen that, you'll know that the game revolves around people choosing between identical-looking briefcases. Every case, they're all the same shape. Every case, they're all bright and shiny. Every case uh, teases you with the prospect of having great riches inside of it. And it's always a bit sad when someone chooses the wrong case. They go away empty-handed. Wisdom and folly hold identical-looking suitcases. Both invite us to choose them. Both offer their food. Both tantalise us with the prospect of this being the way to live. It'll bring you joy and fulfilment. The tragedy is Folly's briefcase is utterly empty. And the consequences of choosing her are the depths of the grave and emptiness. Which makes you think, that if she is that deceptive and that appealing, uh, we better be careful not to choose folly, haven't we? And for that reason, what you find is in all the early chapters leading up to this summary chapter, what you find is that you get all these different examples of the disguises that folly can take on. And you get all these other sorts of voices through the early chapters which foolish living can sometimes sound like and you hear the voice of the violent and the greedy who promise easy riches by being aggressive and bullying your way through life and you hear the voice of the adulteress who promises pleasure by giving into sexual desire and you hear the voice of the wicked who promise success by doing what is expedient 
rather than what is good. And you hear the voice of the sluggard who promises relaxation by avoiding work and giving into laziness. And through the early chapters, we're exposed to lots and lots of different voices, all of which come at us in life, offering us advice and say, do this, it'll feel good, it'll bring out the best in life. This is how you ought to spend your days. And in chapter 9, the whole thing is boiled down to the fact that in all those verses, there's really ever only one choice to be made. To go with the voice of wisdom and fear God, or to go with the voice of folly and mock God. Which I reckon is very insightful. Because is it not the case that in life we are bombarded with different voices every day, every week, every time you flick on a telly or read a magazine or even just in our family circle or our friendship circle or our work or school circle, there's all these people telling us what they reckon we ought to do and what to choose and it can seem really confusing because all these voices are offering us the same thing, it would seem. Look, you need to do this and you'll be happy. Have a go at this. Try this one. You'll be happy. It'll feel good. It'll be terrific. And Proverbs wants us to see that when you cut the double talk, when you look at the long-term consequences of life choices, more often than not, it's going to boil down to a choice between wisdom and folly. It's going to boil down to a choice of doing that which will lead to life or that which will lead to death. More often than not, it's going to boil down to a choice of are you going to do that which is based on reverently fearing God or are you going to do that which just ignores God? What Proverbs wants us to see is that there is only one voice that truly knows what it's talking about. At the end of the day, there is only ever one voice worth taking notice of. It's the voice of wisdom. It's the voice that says, whatever you do, fear the God who made you. Or to put it in more New Testament categories, fear Jesus Christ. Kiss the Son lest he be angry with you. For when Jesus uh, stepped foot on earth, it was God coming in person, and yes, he came in person to show us his love and his grace and his mercy, but in Jesus, God also shows us how powerful he is and how terrible it will be to ignore him. And Jesus himself said as much. Luke chapter 12, he's talking to his disciples. Jesus said to them, I tell you, my friends, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body and after that do no more. I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after the killing of the body, has the power to throw you into hell. I tell you, fear him. Kiss the sun while you can. And friends, I'm thinking this is a very, very helpful life strategy that's being put before us here this morning. Because that's the thing about Proverbs. That's what we saw last week. It's a book all about the art of living. Proverbs is a book designed to help us get the most out of life. And the lesson that it's parading before us this morning is very clearly that the way to do that is to fear the God who made you. 
Living well in this world involves living in reverent obedience to the one who made this world. And so when any sort of life choice comes our way, the first thing that ought to cross our mind is, what is the option that will best help me live out a fear of God here? What is the option that will best help me live out a reverent obedience to Jesus here? Not necessarily what do others want me to do. Not necessarily even what do I feel like doing. What is the thing that I need to do out of reverence to God? Out of a fear of him? And so in a moment we're going to sing one last song. And once that's over there's going to be a heap of options that are going to come to you. There's going to be a lot of little voices in your head. And one of them will be saying, well I'm just going to go home and put my feet up. And another one might be saying, well, no, I'm going I'm to hang around and catch up with some friends. Or another one might be saying, well, no, there might be some people here who need someone to talk to and look a bit lonely and I'm going to look out for them. And the wise person says, I'm going to follow the option that best lives out a fear of the Lord. I'm going to take the option which best reflects a reverence for Jesus. And when you do get home, there's going to be heaps of options what to do, isn't there? There's going to be heaps of options about how to treat the others in the family. Options about how you're going to speak towards them. What sort of jokes you're going to share. What sort of things you're going to talk about other people. Uh, what sort of things you're going, to, you're going to say about other people to them. What sort of shows you're going to watch when you flick on the telly. And in all those options, the wise person is thinking, well, I'm going to do the thing that reflects a fear of the Lord. I'm going, to do the th- I'm going to take the option that best reflects humble obedience to Jesus. And again, tomorrow, when you turn up at school or you turn up at, uh, at work, there's going to be lots of options. How hard am I going to work today? What are we going to talk about over morning tea? How to treat the boss or teachers behind their back? Am I going to flirt with that person? And all these options, the wise person is thinking, I'm going to go with the one that shows that I most fear the Lord. I'm going to take the option that best lives out a reverent obedience to Jesus. Because the beginning of wisdom is a fear of God. The starting point and the building block for being the best person you can be in this life, it's by humbly coming to terms with just how powerful God is. Because I am telling you, there is no way you are going to get the most out of this life if you haven't first got the perspective right between you and the one who gave you this life. You want to be wise? Fear God. I'll pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us and thank you for the reminder this morning that we need to be reverent towards you. We need to submit humbly before you, that we need to know our place before you, that we need to know that you are our Lord and Master. Father, please help us to build our life 
on that reverent fear of you. And Father, even, even today and during this next week when there's going to be lots and lots of different options and voices speaking at us, please help us to excel at living out a reverent obedience to you and your son. Thank you for loving us so much as to remind us of this this morning. We pray it in your wonderful grace and love to your son's honour.